This is the EPLOG audio experience. Hi, this is Kunal Kapoor and I'm the host for Podcast MD by Keto. Before we get into it, let me tell you how Podcast MD by Keto came about. As most of you may know, I'm also one of the founders of Keto, one of the country's leading crowdfunding platforms. Medical crowdfunding has been one of the biggest causes for us at Keto. Over 500 crores have been raised to successfully fund urgent medical cases and save lives. But sadly, the number of people in India not able to afford healthcare has only been rising. And so we've increased our focus on healthcare to make it more accessible and affordable. While being unable to secure funds for treatment is obviously one of the biggest concerns for both patient and their family. We found there were gaps beyond as well. When someone is suddenly hit with a serious medical condition, there's so much one isn't prepared for. One may or may not be prepared to handle the finances, but everything else that comes with it, one certainly isn't prepared for. And that's what podcast MD by Keto is about. Trying to understand everything around, the emotional aspect, dealing with doctors in hospitals, making the difficult choices and just coping with it all. Another thing that we came to realize in working closely with healthcare was that in spite of increased efforts and awareness, the number of cancer-related cases are only increasing. And so, we decided that in our first season, we're going to take on the big C. I'm going to be chatting with cancer survivors from different backgrounds to find out how they dealt with everything that comes with the disease. We want survivors to share their experiences as that could inspire and help others get through a difficult period in their life and also help them understand more about the disease. Wishing all the listeners out there a very happy Women's Day. And today on Women's Day, we have a very special guest. Our guest for today is Samara Mahindra. Samara is the founder of Kera, India's first provider of integrative cancer care that helps manage the cancer journey across nutrition, body and mind. Samara comes from the famous Mahindra business family and initially, she also planned to start her own business enterprise. However, her world turned upside down when she lost her mother at the age of 23 to cancer. Samara is a cancer exercise specialist. She's also a holistic health coach from the Integrative Institute of Nutrition at Cornell University and the T. Colin Campbell Foundation. Trikera has more than 500 patients and is working with most hospitals across all metro cities. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I was really looking forward to this conversation because I think what you're attempting to do or what you're doing already is something which is very different and uh, which is actually really the need of the hour. And uh, you know, I've had a chance to speak to a lot of people that are patients and are caregivers. And I think uh, there's a very important aspect of it, which they've all spoken about, which I think, you know, you cover. And uh, so I was really looking forward to this. Likewise, uh, I think we need uh, platforms like this to really talk about uh, what's really important when it comes to mainstream treatment and care for uh, cancer and any right. kind of critical or chronic diseases. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Right. It's, it's nice. So let, let's start with you. Uh, let's okay. start with, the, you know, where you grew up, your childhood, uh, where you went to school, college. Mm -hmm. So I um, I am originally from Bangalore. I'm born, brought up over there. I grew up, I, I actually had a beautiful childhood. Right. Um, I grew up in a stud farm. So I was oh, wow. amongst horses. I grew up to the smell of horses and the sound of galloping horses. So I just came back from a horse riding 
class. Really? Okay, wow. Yeah, so that's that's what I grew up with. Uh, we were farm kids. Uh-huh. We were outside. We were climbing trees. Never watched a cartoon in our lives. And um, I think I just had the most perfect childhood. Uh, was very spoiled. Um, went to school in Bangalore. And then a um, little later, probably, uh, you know, once I was about 16, 17, I then left and and since then kind of lived out of the country. Right. Um, so did college abroad, went to the UK, then went to Australia. And then I've lived in multiple countries. And and it's been wonderful because in our family, we're encouraged to travel. Hmm. Uh, we were such where we said, you know, we were told like, don't worry, don't you don't have to go to school, but let's go see another country. Oh, wow. Let's, yeah, That's let's amazing. learn from there. So we all have a little bit of that travel gene in us. Right. And so that played out in my life and I got an opportunity to live in different places. And then work brought me back to India. So I'm here now today. And Bangalore must have been really different when you were growing up as well. I mean, it was, it's not the crazy city it is today. Not at all. It It is, uh, yeah, it's completely the opposite. Um, It's a, it's, it's an alien city to me today. You know, Mm. I don't, I do spend some time in Bangalore. I am spending a lot of time outside Bangalore now, but it's definitely, uh, it's changed a lot. It comes with its pros and cons, but it's, it's unrecognizable. Yeah. And so you must have come back from college and started working. Uh, where, where did you start working first up? Yeah, so I went to uh, so I went to the UK and then I went to Australia and then I found my second home because we lived in uh, we lived on the Gold Coast. So um, you know I went to a college where we would go surfing and then bring our surfboards to class, and that's the kind of college life I lived. I want to exchange childhood. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, let me do everything possible, every degree possible to stay in Australia. Yeah. So I did my bachelor's, then I did my postgrad and then my family said okay enough like I think it's about time you come back Um, I actually then came back to India I didn't want to move back to Bangalore I just wanted to do something a bit different and I wanted to take a little bit of a break from you know just studying and all of that so So I was asked, uh, where exactly do you want to go? So I said, Bombay. So this, so you know, my mother was like, uh, what are you going to do in Bombay? And I literally remember looking this up online saying, you know, things to do in Bombay. And the first thing that came up was an acting course. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was like, acting course? And she's, <laughs> the, everyone just looked at me like very strange, like you want yeah. to do an acting course? But I did. And it was one of the most liberating experiences of my life. I went to Barry John for a couple oh, okay. of months. Okay. And I think I did a little bit um, of theater as well uh, after that and uh, yeah you know I knew it was a little stint in my life but it was uh, it really opened me up as a person so I did that and then I moved to Singapore to work okay yeah and you were in Singapore when you found out that your mother was was ill? No. So I was actually already in college. Uh, She was diagnosed um, I think around 2004 and I was in college and at that time I didn't even know what cancer was you know she had come to the UK to get treated and then she kind of and that time I was in in Kent so um, she got treated and she was fine and then uh, she relapsed like about eight months later Hmm. so all this was happening simultaneously and um, I actually had to move back from Bombay eventually because she was getting really really ill so she was in Bangalore she was in Bangalore so when her second bout of cancer showed up she said you know I I don't want to I want to get treated at home Hmm. Um, in fact she didn't even want to get treated but of course we as family members didn't allow for that so we said okay then we'll get you you know treatment in Bangalore and you Hmm. stay at home and uh, so she was getting treatment continuously and honestly chemotherapy became a part of our lives Hmm. the doctors told her she has uh, about six months. Mm. She went on for almost seven years. So it was a pretty outstanding uh, case. 
doctors wanted to document her case and right. uh, she just kept fighting through but chemotherapy doctors hospitals became you know for six and a half seven years that that was our life yeah. right and she was fighting uh, which kind of cancer so she um she had something called small cell carcinoma which showed up in the cervix so it was hmm. a cervical cancer and that's the unfortunate thing because it's very preventable and it's very curable um but unfortunately with my mother she lived a very high stress li- life she hmm. was extremely successful businesswoman she was on the go hmm. and she just ignored the symptoms and waited too long and that's what's happening in india today mainly people are getting diagnosed much later because they're not taking you know the precautionary measures or mm. they're just scared to do normal health checkups and so even we are treating patients that are coming in at stage 3 and stage 4 and the the results of that are much i mean it's you know sometimes it's dire straits because mm. it's just too late and you're saying that you know this is something that you can diagnose much earlier and you can of course treat it absolutely absolutely so that's why we in healthcare are always pushing people to just do health checkups and mm. uh, you know yes there are some cancers like a let's say a pancreatic which is like known as the deadly cancer which because, is very difficult to obviously yeah the symptoms don't show up at right. early stages but most do um you know something as simple as breast cancer which is now you know uh, unfortunately so many women are getting diagnosed with it and it's about just learning how to do a simple self breast examination mm. most women don't even know how to do this my own friends don't know how mm. to do this and mm. they don't bother it's about just you know knowing how to do a proper breast examination knowing um to detect something if it's there's some you know lump or whatever it is and then getting it checked right um that can save your life literally can save your life so it's about doing regular checkups to you know see what's going on and and i say this all the time we know our bodies better, better than anyone else sure. we know when something is not right. right and we just need to go get it checked so right. a lot of us just don't do it because you know we're too busy or we don't want to know which is the saddest thing yeah i mean there is also of course the fear attached with yeah. what if i find out and i find that i mean it's a it's a it's a fear that lots of people have but you know like we're saying is that you can't let the fear actually stop you from finding out what what is actually wrong which can be treated yeah. and uh, instead of being treated people are you know not even doing their tests because they're like what if i find out there's something wrong which exactly. is exactly which is a bit of a like a strange place you know it's very interesting uh, fear is a very interesting thing because when um, we went through it my entire family of course we got very fearful of it and we were like are we going to get it and mm. is this genetic and so mm. on and so forth and i was uh, you know ridden by fear because mm. um it 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 was a very very harsh ordeal also of what we went through sure. so you don't really want to face that again but you know um as my family members took the route of saying listen we don't want to ever hear the word or walk into a hospital again for some reason for me i just said that if instead of being uh you know just pounded down by this fear let's learn about it mm. so i actually went and educated myself about it and i said okay fine so what is cancer let's really know what's going on in the body and let's see if there's something that we can do to prevent it or mm. bring our risk down and when i actually exposed myself to it i realized that fear you know comes from complete ignorance actually right. and um it's the anticipation of that fear that's scarier than the fear itself sure. so when you actually expose yourself to um 
whatever you're fearing, you'll realize it's not that scary. Mm. And mm. that's what happened with cancer. And that's what's happening around this country. People are so scared of the word, but there there's complete lack of knowledge of what mm. the word even means. Right. So um, if you really understand what cancer is, it's becoming more of a chronic disease. It's really not that scary. It's very manageable. You just have to educate yourself. And yeah, most people would think it's like a death sentence, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. It is if you don't take the precautionary measures, you don't do the tests, you are detected later, it can be. Right. Uh, and that's why we push and say that actually you, it's all in your hands. You just have to take the, you know, precautionary measures to curb those uh, risks. Basically. Right. Yeah. So you went, you educated yourself about cancer and that's when uh, Carer came about? Yeah. So Carer was an interesting journey because... You know, I lost my mother. I was very, very close to her. It was um, a very difficult experience to lose her uh, eventually. And like I said, because chemo and all of that became a part of our lives for so many years, I always had an instinct to do something in health and wellness. So I was, you know, um, more so involved in terms of like seeing how she would react to her treatment cycles when she would eat healthier or she was more physically active or her state of mind, very important element as well. And I would literally write this down. And I saw, I started noticing that while her medical reports were stable or her, let's say her cancer wasn't progressing, her quality of life was debilitating at mm. home. And that's when I realized that what's going on over here? Like, do I want stable medical reports or do I want my mother back? You know, mm. and mm. why aren't we focusing on quality of life of mm. a human being? And um, and like I said, my mother was a very independent woman. She was the bread owner of the home and she, she ran the whole show. Mm. And to see a woman like that, uh, where she had to kind of, you know, uh, rely on other people. It, it tore her apart. Mm. And um, and so that disconnect was an issue for me. And that remained in my mind. And um, after we lost her, maybe a year after that, I wanted to go and explore the field a little bit more. So mm. I moved to the US and I trained as a cancer exercise specialist, which is basically like physiotherapy, but using functional training to rehabilitate patients after surgery and things mm. like that. Um, I then went deeper into breast cancer recovery training. So a lot of patients, uh, breast cancer patients who would have mastectomies or, you know, double mastectomies, we would work with them from a physical perspective. Mm. Then I trained into nutrition. And then I worked for this beautiful nonprofit organization in New York City, where they were using dance therapy and um, sorts of physical rehab to um, as mind body therapy actually for um, you know helping patients recover oh that's and, fascinating yeah and when I saw them I would see these patients and they were doing really well and um, I would interact with them and they started telling me about something called integrative holistic care integrative oncology never heard of it in our lives and um, did some research and realized one of the top cancer hospitals in the world is uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York right. City, which also happens to have one of the biggest integrative oncology centers. Wrote to them, somehow got a meeting with the founder of the integrative onco unit and walked in there. And I am telling you, when I walked in there, I was like, this is what we were looking for. Basically, they give you mainstream treatment, but they focus so much on your quality of life as well. So they will manage your nutrition. They will make mm. sure immunity doesn't go too low. They will manage your physical rehab. They will manage how you're doing mentally, emotionally. So it's it's just complete care for the patient and the caregivers. And that's what I was looking for. So I remember sitting across her saying that this is, we were ready to do anything in the world 
whatever it is, tra- travel the world, spend whatever it is, because we wanted to save her life. We didn't even know this existed. Mm. And how would how could I bring this to India? And uh, I'm not a medical doctor. No one's going to really, you know, believe in this. And she said, I remember her saying that, Samara, if you, you know, if you, ne- if you don't try, you'll just never know. Hmm. I had no plans to move back to India. I was very hmm. happy living in New York. Um, but I think, again, it was this, plant, uh, this seed that was planted. And that's when I moved back to India. I got an opportunity to do an observership in Tata Memorial Hospital to really understand the depth of what's happening in Indian healthcare, especially with oncology, right. got an opportunity to work with phenomenal doctors over them and realize that the problem that we faced as family members probably is persists more so today uh, than it did when we were there. And that's how the inception of Cairo actually happened. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's some incredible doctors doing some incredible work there. But like you're saying, the really important thing is... Uh, to balance the medical treatment with the quality of life. Yes. Because you don't want, you know, the reports to be stable, but, you know, the person is going through depression and, uh, you know, can't eat and, you know, doesn't really have any sort of quality of life. So uh, your purpose has been to sort of balance the two, isn't it? Absolutely. And the thing is that what we do is very much a part of mainstream treatment. And this is what people need to understand, hmm. that integrative oncology, integrative medicine are very well-established ways of treating patients around the world. It's just that Indian countries like India have not recognized it to be so as yet, because right. we're always somewhat playing catch-up somewhere. Um So we are very much a part of mainstream treatment. And when we work with the patient, we work very closely with the doctor and the treatment that's being administered. So when you are not able to manage the quality of life of the patient, the treatment outcomes um, uh, are affected. Even the patient outcomes are affected. So the patient cannot even take to treatment because um, their immunity is too low or they go into neutropenia where their blood counts are too low or um, they're just unable to withstand the side effects of treatment. So... It's very essential to have these elements um, in order to withstand the side effects of Mm. treatment, to improve your immune system, to improve your chances of recovery and even decrease chances of relapse. So today around the world, integrative medicine, personalized medicine, um, the the integration of non-clinical therapies, which is what we do, which is using food, body and mind with mainstream treatment is actually mainstream treatment. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do Mm. in India over here. So how does this work? So supposing I had cancer, mm-hmm. how how would I go about this? Or how would my family go about like approaching you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's, what's the protocol for this? How does this work? So um, what we did last year was that we were completely B2B, you know. So we worked, uh, we have tied up with more or less all the major hospital brands mm-hmm. and uh, doctors. So we came in there, we, um, so as soon as a patient is diagnosed, they get in touch with us. We then go in and do a complete analysis of the patient. So while the medical system looks at the symptoms and what's happening with the patient right then and there, we go deep into your lifestyle. Where did you work? Where did you grow up? What air did you breathe? What kind of life did you live 10 years ago? What were you eating? Mm. Um, You know, what's, what are your relationships like? So we get like a full analysis of the patient. We then build a program uh, using our methodology to service um, the patient in terms of the kind of nutrition that they have. So we We will create a complete, um, you know, very, very in-depth nutritional protocol for them, telling them exactly what to eat at what time, how to make it, give them recipes, teach their cook how to make it, change their oil, salt, 
com- com- do a complete like wipe out um, of what's happening in their kitchen and and rebuild from them. We then come in and uh, you know look at their physical condition and then we provide you know yoga therapy. But again, from specialized therapists who work only with cancer, hmm. um, meditation very important part of what we do and physiotherapy for post surgical rehab. And then we have something called mental well-being therapists. These are counselors who come in and will work with the patient and their family members mm. and actually coach them in terms of helping them accept the diagnosis because that's a major impediment that they face and then motivating them to really take the next step to mm. move on. Mm. So it's really using the elements of food, body and mind uh, along with the mainstream treatment and and we design it accordingly so it's very personalized so we have th- our therapists going into a patient's home everything is delivered in you know if you were the patient it would all be delivered at your mm. uh, doorstep and uh, you would have clinical nutritionists visiting you you would have your uh, you know our yoga therapist visiting you our counselors visiting you um almost on an everyday basis um for months wow that's amazing yeah but so the hospital actually gets in touch with you yes the hospital okay. and the doctors so doctors play you know doctors are like god right. to patients over here so doctors play a very vital role um the really good thing is that doctors support us because they know that they have if i can say a healthier patient to work with right um because we're keeping the immunity high for the patient like so if you take like a head and neck cancer patient which is very large cases in india because most people are chewing tobacco and drinking mm. so head and neck is anything with like you know uh, in the head and neck region except for brain tumors mm. that is a debilitating type of cancer just because 90% of them will be having you know will be feeding through the stomach because they have surgery around the mouth now patients like that their nutrition you know goes down uh, substantially mm. they're not able to even absorb the nutrients so we're dealing with excessive weight loss excessive muscle loss they're not able to even move mm. let alone take chemotherapy mm. so we you know so we have to really help in um trying to administer very nutritious food to them through a tube mm. so it's all very complicated that way and so then if we're able to do that well then the patient can take to sure. the chemo and so the doctors you know can stick to their treatment regimen and the the outcome of the patient is much better when they um, you know when they take these therapies but was it challenging to begin with like to convince the doctors in the hospital it was extremely challenging uh, in every way shape or form right. um what really helped was when i did this observership in tata i got to meet some phenomenal doctors and um, i kept relationship with these guys mm. and what i did was when we actually built out caro and the methodology i went back to these doctors and i said listen i have built something called uh, some water for system or protocol of integrative onco and can can we work with your patients so all of them said sure we understand that it's required in india because no company is giving it in a comprehensive way mm. you can find nutritionists you can find yoga th- but yoga but you got to go and look for them and yeah you- and they have to be trained in onco right. see that's the other thing that you can't just be a nutritionist like you have to have worked in and we only specialize in onco so um so basically uh, i went back to them and they said but how can we trust you mm. so i took a call last year and said okay so forget about marketing awareness whatever let's just do this as you were launching a new product or drug in the market where they do a clinical trial so i went and did pilots so i went to these doctors said fine I won't charge your patients but give me a bunch of your patients you can go through the medical ethics committee you can check what we're doing but let us just use our protocol on your patients for mm. 45 days to um, to 12 weeks mm. 
And so they allowed me to do that and they monitored day on day. And the kind of results we saw was substantial. Like some of the doctors could not believe that their mm. patients had improved to such a degree. I mean, we have hundreds of testimonials from doctors. Now that changed the game for us because now we had strong data to support that our methodology works. Um, and so today when I go meet a doctor hospital, I show them the data saying that right. we have tested this now on hundreds of patients. And this is the this is how a patient has improved just using our methodology. The beautiful thing in this whole thing, and I believe that it's really completed a full circle, is that I took that data and sent it back to Sloan. And I said, you know, um, I don't even know if you all remember me, but I came to you, you all encouraged me to start this. And today I have data of, you know, so many hundred patients and I would love to come share it with you. The founder, uh, unfortunately, had retired, but she put me on to the director of the integrative oncology unit there, who's Dr. Gary Deng. And he said, okay, please come to New York, come meet me, showed him a full presentation of everything that we've done. And he said, see, this is amazing, but I need to come to India to really see what's going on. So he did. He came and he flew to India. He met all our partnered hospitals and doctors. He really helped us in terms of refining our methodology, the science behind it, everything. And today now he's come on as, you know, an advisor to our company. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really a full yeah, circle. Yeah, really a full circle amazing. because um, it's my journey started there. Right. Yeah. And you said something really important was uh, obviously the caregivers. Yes. You know, I've had a chance to speak to a lot of caregivers and it's uh, sometimes as challenging for them as it is for the patient. Uh, so how do you work with the caregiver? W what is it that you, you know, do with the caregiver as well? Yeah. So um, I think, in fact, it's probably more challenging for uh, the caregivers because there's so much uh, attention put on the patient. They have an entire medical team and they've given all the attention that is required. It's uh, we caregivers that really, really suffer because first, we don't know what to do. Second, we are just uh, in so much guilt, which right. is ridiculous because we feel that, you know, uh, is, is there more that we can do? And even if we kind of step away and go back to work or live somewhat of a normal life, we feel guilty. Right. Um, so when we started this, we said one uh, very important thing would be to involve the caregivers in this journey. So many of the caregivers actually do the therapies with the patient. So mm. they are part of it. But we do a lot of counseling for the caregivers. In fact, more so for the caregivers than the patients themselves. So um, we just talk talk to them and, and talk them through it and create a relationship with them where they can find a, um, a free open space to mm. express what they're feeling. And we actually encourage them to be very normal and live mm. very normal lives and to have fun and to get on with their lives because it's really not much that they can do. We find a lot of the caregivers because this obsessive uh, attention on the patient actually is more detrimental mm. you know, to the patient. And most of the caregivers, they just become doctors themselves and they think that this is, you know, um, they, let's try everything in the book. Google. And, yeah, Google. And that, that's also something we ban. We're like, please don't get on Google. Right. You know? um, because although it has all the information, it's a lot of it that is not credible information. So, um, so we, we do a lot of counseling with them and we involve them in the therapies. And that's really important because like you're saying is that, you know, you feel as a caregiver that you can't move on. And anything that you do has guilt attached to it. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's pretty much you put your life, you bring your life to a stop as well, yeah. along with the patient. And that can be detrimental for the caregiver and the patient. Absolutely. So we tell like, we, we will tell the caregivers like, okay, if you really want to help, we'll teach you how to make a certain dish. Why don't you make this for the patient every day? Mm. You know, if you like cooking, let's be a part of that. Mm. Um, come do a yoga session with us. Come do a meditation with us or come talk to us. So we'll just put them in the process of what we're delivering. Um, so they feel like they're kind of 
also helping in a certain way. But yeah, they stopped their lives. I we stopped our lives mm. uh, for six and a half years. My life was on pause. To be very honest, when my mother passed away, there was a sense of relief because right. it was torture. You know, um, every test was torture. Yeah. Uh, we lived in anxiety. One of the biggest privileges I have today, um, which I refuse to give up, is switching off my phone at night. Hmm. Before I couldn't do that ever. So now it's like a habit, and I always get uh, you know flack for it, saying why do you switch off your phone? But it's really one of those things that I feel immense amount of pleasure doing, saying that I can actually switch off my phone at night. So these little things, right. and I went and relived those six and a half years after she passed away, and I see it happening all the time. And you obviously find a big difference in how uh, cancer is approached in India and how it's approached approached in the West. Uh, like you're saying, is that in the West there's a far more sort of holistic approach uh, to the disease, and here it's all only medical. Yes, and that can get really difficult after a point. No. Yes. So in the West, uh, so this is the exact um, comparison. So in the West, like I was talking to Dr. Gary Deng from Sloan, I said, "How does integrative onco work over here?" He said, "Over here, the patients come to us, and then we tell their doctors that they're doing this." In India, the doctors have to tell the patients to do mm. this. You know, so that's the difference. Um, having said that, it is changing. There are more and more patients reaching out to us directly, saying we need this. Um, a lot of patients are becoming very skeptical of the medical field mm. as well. Mm. Um, probably more so than uh, they should, because they're they're starting to do like doctor shopping and things like that. Um, but they're looking for this because they realize they they fear the side effects of the treatment more than the cancer itself. And so if there's something to help them with that, they're looking for it. Mm. So I did a little bit of social media. Like this is the difference because last year we was completely B2B. And maybe late last year, I put a little bit of content. We have so much content. So I put a little bit of content out there. The amount of people that reached out um, just saying, can you tell us if you're available in this city? We need this, you know, we need the help. We're looking for something like this. So it's changing. Hmm. It's definitely changing. And which cities are you guys working in right now? So we are present in the tier one cities, but honestly, we are very well established in Bangalore, Bombay and Delhi. Hmm. These are the three major cities that we have, a, you know, widespread team. Hmm. Right. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was that, you know, we were talking about it before we started this mm -hmm. podcast was that it's very important to look at this as not an alternate treatment. Yes. It is part of the whole treatment, you know, and there's there's a tendency for us to look at this as something that we do on the side besides the treatment. Mm -hmm. But you're saying this is part of the whole treatment, actually. Absolutely. So in India, we live in these two worlds this allopathic so we have these two like groups you know they allopathic hate each other yeah they like alternate. hate each other yeah all yeah so it's alternative and then there's allopathic right um but what we do is in between but it's very uh, much based on science and you know it it has uh, it's been used in mainstream treatment so yes if it is not chemo radiation or surgery they think oh it's it's alternative mm. but it's not at mm. all we provide um, non-clinical therapies, which is basically clinical nutrition, physical rehab, you know, psychology, mm. but from a very, very clinical scientific standpoint. So it is not alternative. I'm, I'm not for or against alternative treatment, mm. but we don't prescribe alternative ways of uh, treatment. And it, so what we do is complementary. It's actually mm. called complementary mm. therapy, um, which goes along with the mainstream care and mainstream treatment and it is very much a part of mainstream treatment right 
So, uh, you know, coming back to something we were talking about earlier. So once I approached you for this treatment, uh, you'd put me on a nutrition plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd put me on an exercise plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you would also uh, put me through to a counselor, which is really important. Is there anything else that this involves? Um, what we actually do is just looking after food, body and mind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, we would love to go into deeper. Uh, so like example, music therapy, we're finding a lot of um, uh, relief for patients through uh, sound healing. Mm. So we introduce them to forms of sound healing and music therapy. There are certain things like uh, art therapy mm. that is really being used, uh, you know, for again, helping the patient go into a proper state of or, or, or more relaxed state of mind. Um, but these are more ancillary kind of therapies that we can offer a patient when and if required. Um, but right now, the focus, of course, is mind, body. The focus is mind, soul, body. Yeah, yeah. And nutrition. But we're always open to new forms. There's a lot happening out there right now. Right. So we're a little bit skeptical because a lot of our patients come and then they take these like concoctions where Ayurveda. they're finding. Yeah. And I'm uh, Ayurveda is great. Right. Um, but you have to follow Ayurveda, you know, in its entirety. You can't take one concoction of Ayurveda and then do something else. And, you know, um, also anything that's ingested and if you're under treatment can sometimes have a counter mm. um yeah like it, it could actually affect the treatment so mm. that's why even supplements we have to be careful about um so things like that things there are different things that are happening you know a very interesting thing i mean if we can speak about it is cbd and right. that's a very new thing that a lot of companies are reaching out mm. because it's just been legalized a pure form of right. cbd now, a lot of companies reach out to us saying that, um, you know, we're, we're creating these CBD products and um, it helps a lot with uh, relieving um, pain, nausea, anxiety. anxiety mm. And uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, scientific evidence and research. But, but is, it, is it legal here? No, not as yet. Pure CBD. Pure CBD supposedly is legal. I don't know the, mm. um, but I do know that there are companies out there doing it, right? Yeah, but it would be great because, I mean, anything that helps. Yeah. Uh, should be legalized. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, the only thing is, again, with doctors, because it is their patients, mm. we have to always inform them about the fact that, you know, the patient wants to take this or it might help. What do you suggest? Right. Now, it also depends on how open-minded their doctor is. Right. I've spoken to doctors where they completely believe in LSD mm. and uh, mushrooms for depression. Um, and they have openly spoken to me about that. But then there are some doctors who say you can't even say the word Ayurveda. Right. So it's a little bit difficult. And do you find like a lot of patients are skeptical, you know, when the doctors send them across to you? Uh, do you find a lot of like uh, resistance? No, actually not at all. Um, mm. When the doctor prescribes it, the patient is, you know, already believes in it. Right. Um, when they really, that's why we spend a lot of time with each patient. When we actually run them through what we're doing, it's very self-explanatory because then they realize that, okay, this is what you guys are going to do for me. And obviously it's going to help. Having said that, initially, uh, especially in cities like Bangalore, where everyone's very conservative in their spending and things like that. They said, no, no, we're fine. We'll get through the treatment. We're fine. But mm. invariably, after round three chemo, they're back to mm. us because mm. it really hits them then. Mm. So then they realize that, okay, we need help. You know, Right. So, yeah. So this must be incredibly satisfying as well, no, for you? It's incredibly challenging. I've aged about uh, <laughs> yeah, 30 years too soon. It's very um, hard hitting. I mm. had to make a decision in my life earlier because I was seeing a lot of real cases play out 
that was reminding me of my journey, sure, right? Sure. So it's almost impossible to not get personally affected by it. Right. So initially I had to take a call to build somewhat of an immunity mm. and a wall. Mm. Uh, I remember the doctors in Tata used to say, Samara, when you're leaving here at 5 p.m., you're switching off. Mm. You're switching off. And a lot of the palliative doctors, because a lot of our cases are palliative end of life because mm. they're coming to us too late. So we're dealing a lot with death. Mm. Death is up close and personal right there with us every day. Wow, that must be challenging. Yeah, very challenging. And um, and so it's almost compulsory for us to see a psychologist and mm. counselors ourselves. And initially I was like, forget it, come on, I'll be fine. But then I took it a point to actually start seeing a counselor and it mm. really helped. Also a lot of self-care. Mm. And one of the biggest things that, uh, which was an incident that happened to us was, um, I realized that it was not only me, but then my team needed the support because these guys are with the patients all the time. Mm. Like I'm maybe running the show, but these guys are there physically with that patient. Sure. One of the patients um, shot himself, oh you my know, God. and that was a big one. That was a blow. And uh, that's, and the, the, the patient care coordinator who was dealing with that patient was very close to that patient. And mm. she was destroyed by it. And that's when I had to take a step back and saying, no, no, I have to look after the team and mm. we have to start building this somewhat of an immune system in saying that, okay, we step away. You know? Yeah, but that is difficult, no? Because you are developing a relationship, you're working with somebody over a couple of months, sometimes a couple of years, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. Uh, it's so very difficult. It took me years. There are still some cases that get me, mm. especially, you know, very young children. Mm. But you know, you take certain things, measures. Like, so initially I would take a call of a patient at any time hmm. and they would call me 1am, 2am. I'm depressed. Can you help me? Whatever. I had to start cutting off and saying, hmm. you know, I will speak to you tomorrow morning. Hmm. My therapist will call you tomorrow morning. Uh, today's a Sunday. We won't be able to take this call unless it's an emergency. Little things like never really attending a funeral hmm. because we are called for one all the time. Hmm. Those kind of things we had to do and just, just, you know, give our condolences and then just move on. But right. we always kind of recalibrate after we lose a patient and hopefully that's becoming less and less now, but just get our bearings and hmm. uh, understand what, where the focus is and then move on. Right. Yeah. And uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge that, uh, you know, the whole environment or the whole infrastructure faces when it comes to cancer in India, as opposed to you know, what's happening in the West. We've obviously spoken about, you know, the openness to uh, something like this. Mm -hmm. But what, what are the other challenges that you find people are facing here? I think there are a lot of challenges, but the two things that come to my mind, which I see is first, there's just lack of knowledge. Mm. It is uh, just unbelievable to witness this, where people will sit across and they will speak like they know everything about cancer and they have absolutely no idea. So I think people need to educate themselves. So when, when I do these interviews, I speak to people, I say, take it upon yourself to go educate yourself instead mm -hmm. of being fearful of it. Learn what it's about because you will then be able to respond to the disease or someone who has the disease better. So I think the biggest issue is just lack of knowledge and mm -hmm. the wrong information being spread about it. Um, the second thing is the treatment costs. Mm. Unfortunately, cancer is such a expensive disease. And, um, and I see a lot of things that are not right that is happening where, you know, treatment is being overprescribed. Right. And, um, and it's not fair. 
So it's a very expensive disease. And I see people losing everything that they have to just be able to, you know, go through the, the treatment. So these are the two major things that I would witness is very different to what's happening in the West. Not that it's not expensive in the West, but the awareness really changes everything. Sure, the education changes everything you right. question you can over here if you question your doctor they get angry with you mm. you know and they get offended over there you question and you say okay fine if this treatment is so expensive show me subsidized uh, you know other options that we can take are there right. other concoctions that we can create um and let's go from there over here it's it's like okay whatever you say we'll do it and we'll right. just lose everything but we'll we'll do what you're saying so sure. that's another problem but there are many challenges a lot yeah. And uh, you have obviously started with cancer mm-hmm. and that is your focus right now. But is there a plan to get into, you know, fighting other diseases or, you know, including other diseases in care? So um, we were asked by, you know, neurologists and cardiologists and things like that, saying that if you've built something like this for Onco, build something like that for cardiac because it's so lifestyle related. Right. Or neuro where you have strokes and you need a lot of physical rehab. I can't say I wasn't tempted. Um, but I think what really keeps us apart is the fact that we really specialize in oncology. We just don't work with anything else. So we know it inside out. Um, there's so much to do in Onco itself Mm. that I don't, as much as I would love to go into the other chronic and critical illnesses, I think we still have to cover a lot of feet with just onco Hmm. right now we're working with patients who have been diagnosed but i would love to get into prevention Hmm. um and preventative care and work with you know like a lot of the patients their family members suddenly say can you give us programs to help bring our risks down Hmm. so i would love to get into prevention i would have done that initially but unfortunately in india we have a very reactive approach to healthcare. only when something happens to us we're ready to do everything otherwise we don't even want Mm -hmm. to walk into a hospital so prevention will be one one area that might sound a bit morbid, but um, really needs attention is end of life care. Our country is, I think, one of the worst countries in the world with the type of end of life care we have for for patients. Mm. We are just not focusing on a very um, important element of healthcare where you know people die and patients you know, lose their lives. Mm. And um, what do you do in a situation like that? How do you look after, you know, they they asked to leave the hospital and then you have to look after the patient at home. We had to do it ourselves. We mm. had to get our, you know, medical equipment at home, oxygen tanks, um, you know, water bed, get a nurse. We arranged everything and we had no clue what to, what to do. And the patient was in extreme amounts of pain. We are not, you know, dealing with this in a comprehensive way. So, um, Palliative and end-of-life care is something that I would Mm. really like to get into. Pediatrics, we work with a few children, but I feel like we need to build a completely new program just for pediatric cancers. Mm. Um, So there's so much to cover just in Yeah, Right. Yeah, palliative is something that I don't even think we talk about so much. I mean, there's a, I think there is a certain section in society that talks about it, but it's very limited. People don't talk about death. So I write. Um, I'm not some eloquent writer, but i that's a way of me expressing myself. And on LinkedIn or whatever, I wrote an article about death. I was like, let's face it. Let's Now let's talk about death. Right. You know, um, because, and this is amongst like even, you know, the educated people where I talk to my my friends and family, they won't talk to me about patients or death. They'll say, how's work? And that's mm. about it. And mm. if I take it one notch ahead, they're like, listen, listen, this is just too depressing. I don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, but why not? It's a very normal part of life and it is scary, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. And what was the reaction to the article? Was it like... Actually, a lot of people did react. Actually, a lot of people wrote to me who 
have just experienced it and mm. said that we have seen it from a very different light. Because I spoke about void and I spoke about how we can't avoid the void or mm. we can't ignore it and that it's a it's very persistent, but there is a way of facing it. Mm. And there's a way of putting light on it. And mm. we need to we need to face it and talk about it and whatever. So so actually the reaction was great because it was it it kind of touched basically uh, the people who actually experienced it uh, got it. Right. You know? But then there are my friends who turn around and they're like, oh God, again, Don't we're talk going, about yeah, this. again, Samara is about to speak about like morbid stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like these areas where no one wants to talk about because it's scary are the ones that really need attention. Right. Funerals, like there's no, there is no company that looks at really having a comprehensive funeral mm. Um, you know, system in play hmm. where a family member doesn't have to worry about what to do and everything is taken care of. Sure. Things like that. Sure. So, uh, if I was a patient mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, my doctor hadn't prescribed coming to care, mm -hmm. how would I go about it? How How is somebody that's listening to us right now, how are they supposed to get in touch with you? So, um, a lot of it happens, yes, through word of mouth, but they can just come on our website. Hmm. It's uh, careforcancer.com. So, it's okay. C-A-R-E-R for cancer.com. They can get on our website. It's very comprehensive. They can get all the information. But we always say that, you know, write to us, message us, and then we will come in and do a full analysis and give you a detailed explanation of what exactly we do. Hmm. So, yeah, website, um, phone, email, all of it is there. Oh, there. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's it's absolutely wonderful what you're doing. Thank you so and much. Thank uh, you for I, having me. I hope this reaches out to lots of people. Yes, and I'm sure it'll too. help a lot of people as well. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back soon with a new episode. You can catch Podcast MD by Keto on all the major platforms like Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Geo Savan, and Hubhopper. You can also find it on eplog.media, our production partner. Please send us your feedback on Twitter using hashtag PodcastMDKeto. Leave us a review rating on iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the show. Goodbye. Thank you.